Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. Today is Tuesday, August 14th. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist. And with me today are Jeremy Hawkins in London and Mark Pender in the U.S. Things have calmed down today, Tuesday, in the Turkish currency crisis. Stocks in Asia and in Europe were mixed, while those in Turkey staged a rally. Jeremy, you've had a heavy day of new economic data today. We have, yes. There's been quite a lot going on, I suppose, kick off really with the Euro Eurozone. And um, let me ask Mark a question first. Mr. Pender, how would you sum up the U.S. manufacturing sector in two words? Uh, two st uh, oh, uh, Is that one word? No, uh, the two words are too strong. Right. Okay, well, let's do a classic class example of compare and contrast, because as a result of the June industrial production from the Eurozone this morning, Eurozone industrial production or industrial producing sector is now in technical recession. So the June figures showed a, a monthly decline in output. This is excluding construction, the way the Eurozone guys measure it, of 0.7%. That made for a second quarter decline of 0.2%. That was after a first quarter decline of 0.6%. So just on the, you know, the old simple rule, two consecutive quarterly declines puts the sector into recession. And indeed, with orders growth still slowing, you know, it really does some raise some question marks about what's going to be happened to manufacturing over the balance of the year. Of course, this has to be seen in context of the ECB's um, main maintenance that the first quarter slowdown in total GDP growth was just going to be temporary. Now, with regards to that, we did actually see an unexpected upward revision to the second quarter Eurozone GDP accounts um, this morning. Um, that now stands at quarterly growth of 0.4%. So in a US annualized basis, that's at a 1.6% rate. But even then, that only matches what we saw in the first quarter. So it still means that the slowdown we had at the beginning of the year continued through into the latest three months. So at the moment, I think it's got to be said that you know, when we look at the performance of particularly the likes of the euro against the dollar or indeed the euro on some of the other crosses as well. Yes, it's true that there have been some concerns about the implications of what's happening in Turkey at the moment for the eurozone banking sector. But there's also some issues just directly concerning the eurozone economy at the moment, which you know, really does suggest it significantly significantly underperforming what's happening on the US side of the water and in itself is justification for the euro to continue to weaken as we've seen over the course of the last few weeks if not months. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, this is yeah. Mark. Uh, I have a question. Are there any uh, signs of um, input cost inflation, uh, supplier delivery delays, um, capacity uh, stress, inability to get employees in the factory sector there? There's some limited signs in the sense that I think if we look at you know, some of the survey evidence, which is really the only way we get hold of that. So if we're looking at typically the purchasing managers indices, within those surveys, there have been some indications of certainly lengthening vendor delivery times. Not so much the case that it's a problem of getting hold of, of, of new hirees. Don't forget, we're still talking about a Eurozone unemployment rate on the wrong side of 8%. So it's still a fairly sizable pool of labour. So where there are capacity issues, it tends to be limited to those parts of the Eurozone. Really, it comes down to Germany, where you know, capacity constraints are being tested for some while now. But by and large, no, we don't have the same sort of pressures in the Eurozone that we do or do over on your side. 
Are, are there? Um, uh, is it hard to get uh, skilled labor in Germany? Skilled manufacturing labor. In Germany, yes, I think what we're seeing at the moment, um, there's still a fairly large pool of workers which have moved into Germany just through the immigration channel. Um, so that's helping, I think, at the moment to keep wages down, although it's got to be said wages are starting to accelerate a bit in Germany. Uh, but where the issue comes in, it is on the skill side of things where I think increasingly we're beginning to see um, companies which require skilled labour having problems actually finding you know, the employees to, to, to undertake the positions. So. It's, it's certainly true of Germany, I think, but it's not really true of the, the Eurozone as a whole. And as I said previously, that really comes back to the fact that the labour market uh, for the Eurozone is still relatively loose. So there's still that much more spare capacity left. So the factory sector in Germany, how would that compare with the US? Um, well, it's, it has been, I suppose, more on par with the US until really this year. Um, certainly, if we go to the you know, last year, the U.S. German manufacturing sector was, particularly second half of next year, was really facing boom conditions. And the real surprise there was that we didn't see wages accelerating faster. However, as we've gone through this year, though, we have started to see something of a slowdown. Now, that may in part simply reflect the fact that they can't get enough skilled workers in the first place. But also, it's, you know, it's got to be borne in mind that Germany is a very open economy. So exports on a quarterly basis can be anywhere between 40 or even 50 percent of total German GDP. So with the, you know, the, the slowdown we've had in export growth globally, um, that provides something of a major hit to Germany. And we look at the likes of these surveys, it really is coming more and more apparent that you know, talk of protectionism and and the, the protection of measures which have already been taken is starting to disproportionately affect Germany. And that's bad news for the Eurozone, of course, because Germany has such a, a disproportionate share of the Eurozone as a whole and indeed has been you know, one of the fastest, most important growing economies within the zone. Um, what else can we say out of Europe? I suppose should just quickly go back to Turkey since it, say, it has had some implications. Um, I think if there's been some concerns that we could start to see some contagion effects coming out of Turkey. As Anne was mentioning, things have settled down a little bit today. But I think generally speaking, within Europe anyway, the expectations is that until such time as we see the Turkish central bank begin to raise interest rates, of course, it's questionable as to whether or not they'll be allowed to do that. Uh, the Turkish situation could continue to spiral downwards. That has been borne out in some relatively significant widening in spreads between the likes of uh, you know, Italian bonds and Spanish bonds versus German bonds. Uh, those spreads have widened quite significantly over the course of the last week or so. Um, but by and large, I think it's, it needs to be said that to be looking at you know, banks' exposure from the Eurozone into Turkey is relatively small. So we've got the likes of Spain, which is the highest, that's estimated at about $82 billion, France $38 billion, Italy $17 billion. And those figures are pretty low when you look at you know, the overall top Eurozone banks, which have combined total assets of more than 20 trillion euros. So well, it's something to keep an eye on, but it's certainly not you know, the, the potential catastrophe, I think, for Europe that some people might try to talk it to be. Uh, uh, Jeremy, I have a question about Spanish banks. Uh, um, that's a pretty lar uh, large exposure. Uh, is that a large exposure for uh, I think a country in you know, a periphery uh, uh, country with um, is uh, which in the past has had uh, trouble in the banking sector. 
I don't think at this stage it can be seen as being that big, really. I mean, certainly Spain stands out as top of those um, Eurozone um, countries whose banks are exposed to Turkey. But, yeah, in the bigger schemes of things, it is still quite small. And I think, yeah, something to, to bear in mind for the Eurozone as a whole, since we had the great financial recession, um, Eurozone banks have become much better capitalized. So even if they were to hit, but to be hit with, you know, larger defaults or whatever it may turn out to be, it wouldn't have the same impact this time around as we did, you know, going back a few years ago. So it's something I think which is certainly on an individual banking basis, some banks are quite heavily exposed to Turkey. Then you know, it could hit individual banking stocks. But I think for likes of Spain or Italy as a whole at the moment anyway, it's something to keep an eye on, but not necessarily to be overly concerned about. Another quick point I just mentioned before finishing off on Turkey, also the exposure, the economic exposure of the Eurozone to Turkey is relatively small. If you look at uh, total Eurozone exports going to Turkey, it's only about 3% of the Eurozone total. So that's not too much to worry about. Although within that, it should be said that uh, Greek exports uh, going to Turkey, that's about 7% of total Greece. So that, that could have some negative implications there. Thanks, Jeremy. Mark, you've had a week off the... Well, from watching the economy, <laughs> what strikes you now that you're back? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question, Anne. Uh, well, I've been looking at the inflation numbers. This morning we had import and export inflation numbers, and they were surprisingly soft. I mean, they, um, there's been really no pass-through uh, on any of the um, spikes we saw, for instance, in metal. And now those are fading. Uh, and uh, last week we had a tick higher in the year-on-year uh, -year core rate, though the monthly rate was was still a very uh, you know mo mild, modest at 0 0.2. Um, so I I think uh, that is what's striking to me, and that will if if that persists, um, then that will or if that continues, I think a, maybe a more positive word. Uh, can be used. I think the the Fed will have it pretty easy uh, maintaining its two percent inflation target. Now, right now, they're fighting a, a little bit on the uh, upside of that target, um, so they're wanting to keep it down. Uh, f throughout this expansion, it's been pretty much the opposite, uh, where they've been trying to lift inflation, and now we're getting a bit of a transition. It looks to be holding pretty much at that two percent, so that won't be turning up the heat any on the Fed to uh, raise interest rates, even though we still have two more uh, expected for this year. Um, if inflation does remain subdued like that, uh, those uh, expectations could change. And if they do change uh, to a fewer number of uh, rate hikes, that could uh, be a very big positive for a second half uh, stock market rally. Mark, can I ask you something about the dollar? I mean, one mm -hmm. of the knock-on effects clearly of Turkey um, has been the move into you know, safe haven um, assets. And the dollar clearly is fairly flying at the moment, pretty mm -hmm. well across the board. A, does you think that have implications for Fed policy? And B, do you think the US administration is, is going to be happy with current levels, let alone potentially still higher ones? Well, for Fed policy, it's uh, and we saw that uh, this morning in import uh, prices, uh, that's going to keep down imported inflation. Uh, the more the higher the dollar goes, the, high, the greater the purchasing power of uh, of U.S. buyers. Um, 
As far as the uh, administration goes, uh, of course, uh, a stronger dollar, however uh, important that is for uh, confidence in, in U.S. assets, it is uh, a negative for U.S. exports. And with the trade tensions and the possible or the ongoing retali- uh, retaliatory tariffs, um, that would be a negative as well for exports. So uh, it could be uh, if exports start falling off, I think that you could see some heat uh, coming out of the administration um, challenging uh, the Federal Reserve's rate policy, which is very, uh, you know, it's a, 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 an aberration, as it were, for traditional um, economic policy to have uh, the administration um you know uh, publicly um, commenting on on the feds uh, on the feds uh, policy so and that is a real uh, po- possible uh, kettle of worms <laughs> and uh, that will be playing out in an unknown or could be playing out in an unknown fashion as the year progresses I'd just like to raise quickly uh, that there is activity on the other side of the world, namely in Asia. China is in the midst of releasing its key GLI economic data. And today, last night in the U.S. eastern area, um, industrial production for July and retail sales were released, and both were lower than expectations IP was up 6.0% from a year ago, the same as in June, and although expectations were for an increase of 6.4%, a sizable difference. Manufacturing production increased 6.2% on the year, up from 6% in June, with stronger growth output of steel products, chemicals, electricity, electric com- machinery and communications equipment, but a sharp decline in auto production. Retail sales were up 8.8% on the year after rising 9% in June. Urban retail sales fell from 8.8% in June to 8.6% in July, while rural Retail sales growth slowed from 10.4% to 10.1%. And fixed asset investment increased 5.5% on the year to date after increasing 6% in June. So the key data, the story here, is that everything has been weaker in China, which will raise concerns about growth in that area coming up in the third quarter. Thanks, guys.